We're continuing our study of the book of James this morning, picking up uh, in the middle of James chapter 3, and we'll go to the end of chapter 3, verse 18. But before we begin, why don't we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we once again thank you for calling us here and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the blessings that it is for our soul, for the nourishment that it provides. Father, we ask this morning that you would give us wisdom. Father, we pray that, uh, that you would give us the wisdom from above as we study uh, your word from James this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we studied the beginning of James, chapter 3, with Joe, and I don't know about you all, but I found it to be uh, very, very convicting. So thanks, Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you say roll tide? Oh, <laughs> uh, well. So y- y'all want more of the wisdom from below than the wisdom from above, I guess. <laughs> uh, so we have a relatively short passage this morning. Um, and hopefully I can convince you of something that I have been persuaded of as I've prepared for this lesson, which is that uh, the book of James is a, a horticultural book. It's about plants raising crops. So I, I hope I can convince you guys of this. But as, as you recall, and this is just a brief overview, but to try to persuade you to my side from the beginning of the book of James, I think he recognizes we live in a fallen world, and that's why he talks about suffering various trials and tribulations. Some of those trials could be external. We think of uh, Jesus in the wilderness or Job, and those are, are trials that are applied to those men. Or they can be internal, and we think of David on the rooftop, and Job, ha- or excuse me, James has his warning about not thinking that uh, that God is the author of sin as a result of our own sinful desires. But, uh, but we see that, jo- that James has a desire for us to be made whole and complete. And uh, I think another way of saying that is for us to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that's how we do that, by being made whole and complete. And, uh, and then we're united to Christ. We're filled with the spirit of the living God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who breathes life. So is it possible for us to be grafted into a tree, a living tree, and not bear fruit? 
and I say no. Um, and like a, like a good wisdom book, which I think James is, that's one of the ways it's described. James tells us what our fruit in thought, word, and deed ought to look like. And I do believe that, uh, that there are imperatives. You know, sometimes we talk about indicatives and imperatives. And an imperative is a command telling you to do something. I, I certainly believe that there are imperatives in James. But I also think that in many ways he's giving us indicatives. Um, a, a list of indicatives and a list of anti-indicatives. Um, as he does the work of a good horticulturalist and identifies good and bad fruit. As we had in the last section, can a fig tree bear olives? And likewise, the man or woman of faith will produce fruits of righteousness. And just as Abraham Abraham, by faith, produced a fruit of obedience, contrary to the world's logic with regard to his son. And just like Rahab, Rahab's faith produced hospitality to the enemy of her people. It will, it will, in our case, produce fruit as well. And so we come to our passage here in James and James returns to the topic of wisdom, as he discussed in chapter 1, Mr. Reams covered. By the way, I hope you all like my bow tie. So I got my khaki trousers, because Mr. Reams did a good job, Dr. Reams did a good job of teaching, and he was wearing khakis and blue blazer. And uh, I should take my jacket off, because Joe did that last week, and he did a good job. Jacob likes to wear bow ties sometimes, so I figure if I put enough of those things together... Maybe it'll produce a good lesson. So, um, anyway, we we return to uh, to the topic of wisdom, but this time James covers two kinds of wisdoms: a wisdom from above and a wisdom from below. We had one example of uh, wisdom from below earlier. <laughs> At least you were trying to get it out of me. <laughs> All right, now let's hear, uh, hear God's word from James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James begins this section by asking the question, who is wise among you? And in the previous section, 
He laid us low. Uh, as you may recall from Joe's lesson last week. Now he asks us who is wise and understanding. And it's as if he has us right where he wants us. Uh, for notice his next section. He returns to the topic of being a doer of the word. Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works, do good works. But James says that if we are wise, we will show our works in a particular way. By the meekness of wisdom. And it is, I, I thought it was kind of interesting for me, I don't know you all think the same thing, but uh, that he uses the phrase, the meekness of wisdom, as opposed to the wisdom of meekness. And I've been trying to think through that a little bit. I don't know if I've just got a mental block about that, but um, I was trying to figure out some way of kind of processing that. Um, and maybe I'll get back to that, but... Uh, but he returns to, to the idea that, uh, that I mentioned a minute ago, you know, I will show you my faith by my works. And if you recall in the previous section, him using statements like, if a man does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, as well as no human being can tame the tongue. Uh, then we we know that this is impossible for us to accomplish. Jesus has done this, but, but, but we fail. But I think it puts us in the, in the right frame of mind, and I think this gets back to this, the meekness of wisdom idea, where, as we recall, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and it's humbling us as we consider our frailty and our our flaws and our our inabilities to tame the tongue it puts us in a in a lowly state the meekness of wisdom and uh, you know we can think of as we think of the word meekness, not easily provoked or a calm temper of mind. Those are things that, uh, that I could use, especially last night. Um, it indicates something of a, a soothing disposition. And it, it's reminiscent of, uh, of Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt and uh you know if if you're you you probably have had the blessing there are people in our church who are like this that that their speech is seasoned with salt and it's encouraging when you when you engage with them it's uplifting and uh this is what james is referring to Moving on to verse 14, James contrasts the good works accompanied by the meekness of wisdom with a different type of wisdom. This wisdom 
is accompanied not by meekness, but by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Which it resides in in the hearts of of some here. Uh, James says, if this is what your works look like, don't boast. Because you're lying to yourself if you think it's good. And, and I think we, we all struggle with some of these things, but uh, as we think through what it means to have bitter jealousy, uh, oftentimes, especially we see examples of this in the Old Testament where God is referred to as a jealous God. Um, so the, the idea of jealousy by itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it is considered to be one of the most, one of the strongest of passions that exists. But by tying it to bitterness, that's where it becomes a problem. And it indicates wickedness. Uh, you recall Peter warning Simon the magician in Acts that he feared that he was caught in, quote, the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And again, that iniquity indicating wickedness. And also recall the warning given in the book of Hebrews to avoid allowing, quote, a root of bitterness to spring up. Why? Be because you might be defiled. Bitterness makes you unclean. It pollutes you. And recall uh, Acts chapter 5, Luke says that the high priest rose up and filled with jealousy, he had the apostles arrested and put in prison. And then we go on bitterness, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Uh, Dictionary.com defines ambition as an earnest desire for some type of achievement or distinction. So unlike the good conduct shown from the meekness of wisdom, this is a conduct that comes from a self-serving, polluted place. And as we have stated, this is the second time James has addressed the topic of wisdom, and it seems James is making a transition in my mind. So previously, he's been discussing fruitfulness from the standpoint of thought, word, and deed relating to ourselves as we think about how we how we see things and the things that we do. And I think now he's beginning to expand his discussion to, uh, to refer to the body and, and uh, the church. And we'll see that especially in the next chapter, next, next week, Lord willing. But moving on to uh, verse 15, James continues his description of this false kind of wisdom by saying, Quote, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And I think James is just continuing to go on the attack here as he's describing this different kind of wisdom. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And I don't know if you picked up on this. Uh, it was at one point listening to a sermon 
on this passage where a pastor pointed out, this is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic that we often hear of. That terrible, terrible triad. And as we move on to the next verse, James continues to prosecute this attack. Instead of good wisdom producing good conduct, James says in verse 16 that if the root is jealousy and selfish ambition, then there will be disorder in every vile practice. Why will there be disorder in every vile practice? And by the way, we think of disorder, we think of words like confusion. When we think of every vile practice, you think of lewdness, dishonor. And I think it's because it it flows from a rotten plant. It is the seed of the serpent bearing its fruit. Listen to these words from Jesus from Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And I think in many ways this lines up exactly with what we heard last week. And again, I think it is... uh, as much an indicative as it is an imperative here. You are holy, so be holy. Blessings and cursings ought not to come out of our mouths. And it is convicting. Uh, As we continue on here in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere. So having described in some detail the wisdom from below, now he begins to flesh out what the wisdom from above is. And he begins with uh, pure. And we can think of words like uncontaminated or holy. And notice that he uses purity prior to peaceable. And uh, as one commentator pointed out, it's important that we don't compromise the truth uh, for the sake of peace. Next, he uses the description peaceable. The Greek word uh, here, it appears in nearly every New Testament book of the Bible. It's a little different than the word shalom that we often hear of, uh, but it it refers to, and that we'll hear of here momentarily, but it refers to a harmonious relationship existing between men. 
Next, gentle, and these are words that are associated, this is a word associated with, uh, with words like equitable, fair, moderate, forbearing, and patient. Next, open to reason. And, and again, definition, definition of reason here, a basis or cause as for some belief, a statement presented in justification of a belief or action. So this is a characteristic of someone who does not, uh, is not prone to snap judgments. And we can think of examples like Ananias of Damascus in Acts 9. I don't know if you recall, he's praying and he has a vision and God says, well, I want you to go see Saul of Tarsus. And I don't know if that's a good idea, Lord. <laughs> no, no, I, I need you to go see him. And he does, um, open to reason. <laughs> he, he had reasons for not going, but he, he was persuaded. Well, he, uh, by God's grace, God persuaded him. Uh, and the, the passage says, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings, and the children of Israel. And then you may also recall continuing in that chapter where Saul goes to Jerusalem and, and it says that Saul attempted to join the, the disciples and they were afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple but I believe it was Barnabas that persuaded them um, to listen to him and to accept him, to allow him to join them. Well, especially when we consider the ways that God has used Paul with most of uh, the New Testament being written by him. I think it, um, it produces doxology when we think of these men, by God's grace, being open to reason. And... Uh, as, as the hymn says, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood 
availed for me. And aren't you, uh, aren't you thankful that our God has made open to reason a characteristic of wisdom from above? It's got to happen one time in these lessons, so... Yeah. Right. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. I should have uh, one of the hard Bibles open up in front of me, but I think uh, it's consistent with what we what we've already heard in this passage about uh, receiving um, the word. Somebody has that quote. Receive with meekness the implanted word, and uh, being sorry for this noise here, but being reasonable as we interact and relate with one another in the world. So, after open to reason, uh, he continues with full of mercy and good fruits. Again, remember my horticultural theme uh, we we are obviously thankful that God is a God who is full of mercy and uh, it makes sense that we ought to be like him in that regard we recall Jesus words blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy and here, here's an interesting description Quote, it assumes need on the part of him who receives it, that is mercy, and resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. And hopefully you see the connection, the obvious connection between showing mercy and forgiveness and why it's important for us to forgive But continuing on, he talks about full of good fruits, not just mercy, but good fruits. And metaphorically, he's talking about works or deeds, i.e. fruit, being the visible expression 
of power working inwardly and invisibly, the character of the fruit being evident of the character of the power producing it. I don't know if that was easy enough to follow. And then uh, once again comes back to this topic of being impartial. We had a helpful lesson on that from uh, Jacob a couple of weeks ago. Not, Not showing partiality or favoring the rich versus the poor. And then, uh, and then he finishes with sincere. And the idea is that it's a sense of being without guile, uh, which is definition of guile, insidious cunning in attaining a goal. So you're hiding your intent as you relate to folks. I don't know if, if you guys uh, have seen this, but several years ago when we were living in England, Catherine and I and some of the kids watched uh, the BBC um, version of Pride and Prejudice that uh, was made 15, 20 years ago or so. Um, And it was, you know, it it was entertaining if you haven't seen it, but one of the reasons I think it's so entertaining is uh, because of all the the double meanings that are going on. People are saying one thing and they actually mean something else. And, you know, they're, they're making these, they're complimenting one another and they're actually insulting one another. Uh, so it's all, it's all guile and it's all insincerity and it, it makes it kind of humorous, but it's kind of like our bless your heart, you know, and, um, but I think, it also relates to things like, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Well, actually, no, I'm not doing great. <laughs> uh, and all the little, you know, the little trite, uh, you know, ways that we relate to one another. Um, and again, I think this all kind of goes together. Jesus saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, um, there's a, a soberness, a sobriety uh, that I think... James is encouraging here in the way that we relate to one another, along with a warmth and, and a love. And, and James concludes his description of wisdom from above by once again returning to this horticultural language. He says, uh, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James neatly wraps up his discussion of the two wisdoms by describing the expected outcome from the wisdom from above, just as he did earlier with describing the the expected outcome from the wisdom from below. And uh, as we recall, the wisdom from below, this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, what does it produce? It produces disorder or chaos. It produces every vile practice Again, when tied with jealousy and selfish ambition, I think I get the impression of, you know, a carnivorous brute beast, uh, an existence oriented around seeking to satisfy the most basest of appetites. See riches, get riches. See power, get power. See pretty woman, get pretty woman. Now, some of those things are, you know, to to have wealth or to be in, put in positions of power uh, like some here are. Um, 
or to have a pretty woman as a wife. Those aren't bad things. I'm, I'm thankful by God's grace to have a beautiful woman. <laughs> um, but are these things the treasures of our hearts? And do these appetites reign in us? Because if they do, we can expect to produce fruits of disorder and every vile practice. In contrast, James concludes this section with, a, with the countervailing, countervailing parallel of the fruit of heavenly wisdom. We will reap a harvest of righteousness. And when you think of the word harvest, you think of a, a joyous time. You know, we, we, some, some here maybe do some farming and, and some do some planting, some green thumbs among us, but, uh, but we don't necessarily have the same agricultural society that existed, probably more common for, for people that were reading this letter at the time. Um, but you can only imagine if most of society works throughout the year up to this moment, the harvest, and uh, the excitement and the joy, the satisfaction of, uh, of reaping a good harvest, a reward for the hard work. And I think James is trying to encourage us to think like these things, about these things. Um, and, and the idea of righteousness, I think he's, he's saying, you know, this is right living before God. Um, the, the, the word indicates a state of being, both legally, socially, and morally. And then finally, he says, uh, um, he, he refers to, not finally, but he refers to making peace. Um, and again, it's in contrast to this self-oriented, self-serving, earthly wisdom. But this peace is the, the peace that we often refer to, the shalom peace. The, this idea of a relationship of love and loyalty that exists between God and man and between us, one another. In other words, a covenant relationship. So hopefully, uh, again, short passage, and uh, I'm early for the first time. Uh, but hopefully this has been a fruitful Sunday school lesson. I uh, guess that wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> So next week we will continue to consider fruitfulness or, or the lack thereof as James expands his discussion to, uh, to include the ways that we relate uh, to one another here in the church. Well, why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for your word. Thank you for this particular passage. We Father, we are humbled by uh, considering our, our frailty, our sinfulness. We thank you that, that you have set us free from sin and death by the power 
of your son Jesus Christ, his resurrection from the dead. And Father, we pray that by your spirit we might produce good fruit that's pleasing in your sight. We, we also pray now, Father, that you'd prepare our hearts and minds for worship this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.